Okay, flip to Romans chapter 10. And we're going to look at the rest of the chapter, Romans 10, 14 through 21. We took a break, but we're going to come back to the text. Our, our message is faith from hearing. And so I want to read that and then we'll pray. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. These are the words of God. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray. Our Father and gracious God, we know that right now our nation is full of pride and short on hearing. We are sloven and largely knotted up on our own twisted desires. We have heaped sins upon sins under the pile of our own broken political and cultural systems. We have destroyed families. We have destroyed so much. Unbelief rules the church, which is why unbelief rules our nation. We ask and pray that your spirit would teach us today that we would be prepared to do battle to win this nation for Christ our King. We ask for faith to believe, love to dispense, and hope to encourage others with. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So for a couple of days this last week, I thought I would postpone our study of Romans, pushing it back another week, largely because of what took place this week in, in Washington, D.C., And I do believe that pulpits should be filled with wisdom from God's word, especially in light of events and things taking place in the world, which is why I nearly hit the pause button uh, in order to address those things. But then I I sort of, as the week went on, I I went back and uh, back over the passage and I realized that it's actually a wonderful passage to consider in light of those events. So I thought I would just stick with the program. Uh, so we're in Romans 10, or Row Womans, depending on your particular brand of wokeism. And uh, so no, uh, just so you know, we won't be ending our prayers with um, a woman anytime soon. Uh, insanity. Yeah, we're already off to a rough start of 2021. So you might, say in, 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 you might say that this is actually a state of the church address, which I've done in the past at the start of a new year as well as being an exegetical expository message from Romans, as well as being a relevant application for what's happening in the public sphere. So essentially, this is like a, a, a you know, three-for-one package deal, right? Look at us go. Here we go. This is all, all three rolled into one. Now, remember where we're at in the book of Romans. Paul has been expounding on the great problem of unbelief in Israel. Many of his fellow kinsmen had not believed the gospel. They um, had incited violence with Rome and trying to crucify Christ, and, and they did put Christ to death. 
and Christ was raised and the gospel was preached, but many of them hadn't, many did come to Christ. Of course, we know that in Acts, many Jews did, thousands in fact, um, but many, many didn't. In fact, the religious leaders didn't, and by and large, they kept with their own program, which led them to their own destruction in, in AD 70, just a, 40 years later. So there was a problem in, in Israel, a problem of unbelief, and there's also this great problem of the fact that Gentiles are now flooding into the kingdom at a rate that no one can control. You know, I have this old joke I heard N.T. Wright say once, he was quoting someone else, uh, you know, everywhere Paul went, you know, there was like a riot or something, and, and this English pastor said, well, everywhere I go, they serve me tea. And just kind of a funny, funny statement. Everywhere Paul went, there was some sort of issue to deal with because he was preaching Christ and the Gentiles were coming in. And so for Paul, he's trying to shepherd the church in Rome. He's trying to deal with the, the various issues. Remember, the Jews were kicked out of Rome at one point under Claudius. And then, uh, then they came back um, as Nero took the helm before Nero went cuckoo. <laughs> And so there's all these issues and cultural issues. And Paul's dealing with the fact that a lot of Jews didn't believe, some are, but Gentiles are flooding in. There's just a different dynamic, and so he has to sort it out. So recall Romans 9.33, which is something that Paul spends the entirety of Romans 10 unpacking, and it's this. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So everything in Romans 10 is about that. And what is he saying? He's simply saying that Christ is the stumbling stone, the rock of offense. He is that stone that was prophesied. And either, either you will build your life on this Messiah, either you will build your house on the rock that is Christ, or one will stub his toe on the rock, tripping over Christ to his own peril and his own detriment. So that's just a fancy way of saying there's no neutrality. You either build your life on Christ or you trip over him. And also keep in mind what we said last time in the section just before this, that uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? That's, that's a promise in Scripture. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There are no caste systems in the kingdom with a hierarchy, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. Uh, and in the, in the Marxist economic system, uh, there, there's no special super Christians up here and then, you know, just your regular run-of-the-mill Christians here. Uh, there's no rank and file in the sense of, you know, pastors are here and other people are here. And there's none of that in the kingdom of God. There's none of that. And the only requirement is faith. The only requirement is faith. A confession with the mouth and a belief in the heart that Christ was raised from the dead. That's what he says in earlier in Romans 10. And so from there, what we said a few weeks ago, we stand in that confession. We stand in that confession. We hold fast that confession in a world that is full of lies and untruths. So this next section will be Paul basically exegeting several passages of Scripture. And he's trying to demonstrate, of course, his thesis, that what he started with in the end of Romans 9. So let's just consider the passage. I just want to walk through it quick, kind of quickly. I'm going to make a few comments as we go just to help you see what's happening here, and then we're going to, then we'll apply it. So Paul writes in verse 14, how then will they call on him, call on him in whom they have not believed? 
So everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But what happens when there's a bottleneck in getting people to that point? How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How can they possibly call out if they don't believe? And one has to have the gift of faith first. Okay, pagans, the reason they're not calling out right now is they don't have faith. I mean, they have faith in the wrong thing, <laughs> trust in the wrong thing, but it's not a spirit-given alive type thing of faith. He goes on. And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? That is, in order to have faith, one must have heard this special announcement. You have to have, have heard it. Paul goes further. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? He's just walking it back. Uh, if news is going to be heard, news has to be shared. A royal proclamation has to be given. Okay, when you're sharing the gospel, you are giving a royal proclamation of Christ being Lord and King. Verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? He keeps going. In order to preach, they have to go. They have to be sent. They have to be funded. They have to be out there. They have to, if you want the gospel to go to difficult places in Africa, you have to send someone. They have to go there and they have to announce it. They need to announce it so that people can have faith. And the only way to have faith is to trust in Christ. And the only way that's going to happen is if they hear it. So there, there has to be movement. Paul then quotes Isaiah 52.7. In verse 15 there, he says, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul's point is that the messenger who brings life-changing news has beautiful, dusty, and probably calloused feet. They're beautiful. They are magnificent. In Isaiah's time, of course, this referred to the news of a return from Babylonian exile. The Jews had been taken uh, from Judah and, and Jerusalem had been conquered in 586 BC. They were hauled off to Babylon, and that's where you get the story of Daniel and so on. And then Esther comes along after Persia becomes the dominant voice there. And so there was this promise of a return. And in Paul's time, it meant the same thing, only the bigger issue of being the exile of sin. When you talk to someone who's an unbeliever, they are in an, in an exile. They are in exile. They are in an exile of sin. We are not exiles on this earth. Christ bought the earth. They are exiles. And right now it feels like we're occupying enemy territory, but in a large part we are because they have the biggest voice right now and Christians have been too sheepish. And that's a problem we'll come back to. So the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, you remember that passage because it's a very popular passage around Good Friday of him being... Um, um, crushed for our iniquities and so on. That's the suffering servant. He's the one who will deliver Israel from her sins, and that is to be announced, and it's a beautiful thing, in other words, when gospel preachers preach gospel. It's a beautiful thing. We saw it yesterday at the abortion clinic, talking to this young man. Just gospel. Here you go. This is your life is in shambles. You acknowledge that you're searching. You're trying to figure this out. You can't make sense of anything unless you turn to Jesus. That's what he was told. That's, a, that's good. It's a good thing that we preach Christ in our spheres of influence. Except we have a dilemma, though, of course, in verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Gospel preaching is great, but what, what about a 
unbelief. What about a world of unbelief? Here, Paul pulls from Isaiah 53.1, just a few verses after the Isaiah 52 quote. Paul's mission is to get the message of the King Jesus gospel out into the world. And so Paul asks the same thing Isaiah asks. Not all have obeyed, but is that because they've not all heard? No. Look at verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Israel's unbelief leads Paul to ask the question. Maybe people don't believe the gospel because they've just never heard the gospel. He goes on, indeed, they have. He's talking to Israel. Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. This is a quote from Psalm 19. And the issue of unbelief in Israel, and it's the same issue today in our culture, the issue of unbelief isn't because they haven't heard the gospel message. There is, remember, there is hearing and then there is hearing. There's listening deeply, intently with your spouse, and then there's vaguely hearing and not hearing at all. There's a difference. The claim of Psalm 19.4 is that the world has enough knowledge to hold everyone accountable because the heavens declare the glory of God. This is the same thing he said earlier in Romans chapter 1. Unbelief is a moral problem, and thus it is a hearing problem. Okay, it's not a knowledge problem. People know. People know enough. The world knows that God exists and that they ought to give him praise. That's Romans 1. So the problem is the world of unbelief doesn't want to submit to God. I'm just these death scorts yesterday that the pride and the arrogance just exuding from them. They don't want to submit to God. They've been told the gospel They've heard it. They just hate it. And that's because they're haughty. So the word of Deuteronomy 30, 14 has gone out into the world. The world has gone out. Gentiles have heard the gospel. The news is, news is out there. Christ is Lord. He's been, he's been raised from the dead. Not all have believed, but they are piling in, of course, the Gentiles. Israel, who was searching for this righteousness, he said this earlier, didn't find it. The Gentiles, those outside the covenant, weren't looking and they did find it. So the non-covenant Gentiles are coming in in droves and guess what Israel, covenant people in Israel are doing? They are tripping over the stone. Another proof text in verse 19. This one comes from Deuteronomy 32 verse 21. He says, but I ask, did Israel not understand He's dealing with the issue. He's already dealt with the hearing now. Okay, well, did they not understand? Well, first, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. The the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Israelites who followed them, who followed them and not Christ, we should emphasize, ought to have understood. They ought to have understood. That is, had they read their Bibles. Their own scriptures told them about this. Note that Paul just keeps going back to the Old Testament. He's he's in Isaiah. Then he switches over to Psalm 19. Now he's in Deuteronomy. He's showing them, look, your own scriptures said this. You should know. If they didn't follow God, what would happen? They should know. 
He told them through Moses what would happen. God would make them jealous. He would, he would make them jealous. How would he make them jealous? By bringing others into the covenant who didn't deserve to be there. Why do you think the Pharisees flipped a lid when they found out what he was doing? He's a drunkard. He's hanging out with tax collectors. They, they, they lost their mind. They were jealous. And the reason they were jealous is because those people didn't deserve to be there. And guess what? <laughs> That's the gospel point. It's always the gospel point. No one deserves to be there. So drop the charade and come along quietly, right? That's gospel preaching. Drop the charade. You don't deserve to be there. I don't deserve to be there. But we're here nonetheless. And this is Christ. Behold him and come along. Drop it. Take the earbuds out. Quit dancing. That's what I wanted to tell that lady yesterday. Just, just come along quietly. Surrender. Paul quotes another passage here in verse 20. He goes to Isaiah 65 verse 1 now. He says, Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. The promises of God were given to Israel so that they could go and give them to the world. The promises of God, they were given to Israel. They were entrusted with the oracles of God, Paul says elsewhere. They were entrusted with those. And they were to carry those promises into the world. And they did not. They weren't conduits. They were dead ends. The same goes for the church today, which we'll get to shortly. So he, he, Isaiah's point and Paul's point is, so Gentiles, people outside the covenant, uncircumcised pagans, you might call them, who weren't looking back in Isaiah's day, they were coming in. And now they're coming in in Paul's day. They weren't looking and they weren't asking. But they're here and we should praise God because that's us. None of us were chomping at the bit to ditch our sins and embrace Christ. No one does that. We enjoyed our sins, and then Christ came in. You know, the picture of you know, Christ is knocking on the door of the house. And I love the meme that says, no, actually, he's going to jump through the door and break it down like a SWAT team, and he's going to take your heart captive. That's Christ. That's his gospel. That's his power. Because that's the only thing that will work. It's the only thing that will work. And finally, verse 21. But of Israel, he says... All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Gentiles came in, streaming in. Israel was hardened. Paul will speak to that more in chapter 11. So I won't say much here other than the fact that Jesus was and is the revelation of God and the people then didn't see it and today people don't see it as well. But there's a reason for that. So, Let's just consider these ideas, especially in light of current events. So I want to address some of those things. It's safe to say, and of course it's been safe to say for a while now, that our nation is in disarray. <laughs> the, the outrage over the election isn't new for either side of the aisle. Um, people said this stuff in 2016. And then they like to act like they didn't say it. But, but it's, it's a symptom, though, of a much, much greater and deeper problem. The, great, the greater problem is, of course, an impotent church, a powerless church that's far too busy hiding and retreating to do anything worthwhile in the world. That's the issue. So you can talk about the election all you want, but what's under it? What's under it? That's what's under it. 
offer up a better vision of, of politics that doesn't include adopting the power tactics of the left. No, no, we've said we prefer the power. It will give biblical principles for justice to our magistrates. No, we've said we prefer to, to we prefer our government schools and excessive taxation. Speak out on the principles of biblical truth so that people and nations can be healed. No, thanks. We're, we're doing online church now. That's what we've done. And part of the reason for this is emphasized by the apostle here. Uh, Israel was brought into the covenant for the express purpose of blessing the nations. Isaiah says repeatedly, look, you are the, you're to be a light to the nations. And then, you know, of course... When Jesus says, I'm light of the world, we should be thinking, oh yeah, Jesus is Israel, the obedient Israel. He's what Israel is supposed to look like. Because he's what, who was Israel supposed to reflect? God. <laughs> and they couldn't do it. So God sends God to be, to be that. That's Jesus. So there, and over, over, uh, over and over again, their, their purpose was to bless the nations and not keep the blessings for themselves not to hoard everything for themselves. It was supposed to be dispensed. And Paul says this over and over and over again. Their job was to steward the blessings so that when God would fill their cup, it would spill out into the world. That was the point. It's just like this tech, the technology warfare we have going on with censorship and all the deplatforming and all these other things. And, and um, you, you know, technology was supposed to be something that Christians did and stewarded and then blessed the world with it. But we, we for so long in this nation have been just sitting around waiting for the rapture to happen. The rapture index, index right now is through the roof. I mean, people are just hand-wringing and get us out of here. And it's, you want out of here? Okay, well, I'm going to crush you under the boot of statism. Maybe you'll repent. That's really what's happening. But they were supposed to, when God filled the cup, it was supposed to overflow into the world. But what did they do? They put a lid on it and said, that's enough. And something the Bible affirms is that this covenantal promise of judicial blessing for the world, again, Deuteronomy 28, 29 and 30, uh, Leviticus 26 has the same types of blessings. Uh, when this, this was now supposed to go through the church, and then into the world. The world needs to be healed. The church is full of medics. We have the healing balm that saves the world, but these medics who are to bring the healing have chosen to keep the healing for themselves, hence the problem. That's why we have no system yet to combat the welfare state. Nothing. We don't have a system in place. And you might say, well, we need, we need wealth, we need money. You're right. But we've had generations of people and Christians in this nation who have squandered it and not only squandered it, refused to even pursue it because they thought it was off. It was too taboo. Uh, Jordan has a couple of really good articles on that issue of the prosperity gospel and, and some of those concepts. So Israel had chosen to go their own way, the way of blindness, the way of deafness. The church today has done the same thing with it with a self-imposed exile that's what it is a self-imposed exile lord we will not be involved in these issues we will be content to stay out of them 
With a self-imposed exile comes judgment from God. So the world needs answers, and we have them, don't we? We have them. But when you're pitifully deaf and blind, thanks to your own volition, how can you see and how can you hear those needs? You can't. It's, it's sort of like the toddler who is, um, you know, the ones where they're like playing hide and seek. Oh, you can't see me. But it's worse. They're like covering their face and their ears and saying, no, 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 you can't see me. That's what the church is doing today. And they wonder why they've been called non-essential. Because you are. So the pro- this, this problem is happening today, and it's the same problem that's happened all throughout history, namely autonomy, right? Self-law, and of course, not just self-law, but the acquisition of power no matter the cost. So we've seen both extremes. By and large, the church has adopted Americanism as their preferred religion. Instead of pressing the claims of Christ into every area of life, we've sought to do politics apart from Jesus. We sought to do a whole host of things apart from Jesus. So, for example, the separation of church and state has become the separation of state and Christ, which is altogether inconsistent with Christianity, of course. If we want to recover the public square, then we have to get this straight. The state is not permitted to refuse to obey Christ. Not permitted. Not allowed. Just not allowed. Nancy Pelosi or Donald Trump. I don't care who it is. You're not allowed to pursue politics apart from Christ. If you do, it's a mess. Which is all another way to say that the only possible way for men and women to be redeemed is to be taught the comprehensive nature of the King Jesus gospel. That's it. And not the gospel solely in terms of getting your individual passports to heaven stamped. Right? I'm talking about the sin-crushing, resurrection-toting, culture-shaping gospel that affirms the totality of Christ's lordship over the totality of life, which is all another way of saying that we need faith to prevail. We need faith. Unbelief is running rampant. We need faith to prevail. Psalm 37.3 encourages us. This stuck out to me reading it the other day. Encourages us, Psalm 37.3, to befriend faithfulness. Befriend faithfulness. What a weird statement. (laughs) Interesting statement. But we are to befriend faithfulness. That is, faithfulness to Christ, faithfulness to his kingdom ought to be our best friend. Ought to be our best friend. Now think for a moment about how people are feeling right now. Just observe, right? Some are elated because they're team one. Um, They're just, they are pumped that they, they won. Some are depressed because their team lost and they feel like the game was rigged anyway. But listen, this is, we need to know this. Christianity isn't in the politics. And in a sense that you don't look at the political sphere and then find your faith, then find your Christianity, right? It's not in it. And of course, it can't be reduced down to American politics because it transcends politics. It is political, but it's, you don't find it in the political. Christianity deals with it, though. It informs the politics. Christianity says to the world that Jesus has been enthroned and that the only recourse is to surrender to him. That's gospel preaching. And gospel preaching ought to be our foremost aim. That's you too, kids. When you're talking to your friends, gospel preaching is what you're tasked with. 
And what is gospel preaching? Jesus is Lord. That's our foremost aim. Not touting what the founding fathers said, though I will admit there are incredibly and there are times that are advantageous to do that, just to remind people some basic principles of why the First Amendment exists the way it does, or the Second Amendment, and so on and so forth. Um, so it's that's not where that's not the foremost aim. The the foremost aim is gospel preaching, not towing the political line per se. Too much compromise happens, even in the Republican Party. Too much of it. It's too too compromised. Anything to just get elected. It has to stop. Gospel preaching is the aim because faith comes by hearing. We need people to hear the gospel so that they respond to the gospel. That's Paul's point here. The world is not overcome by violence. The world is overcome by something else. The Bible, did you know the Bible tells us what overcomes the world? It very clearly tells us what overcomes the world. The Bible tells us what overcomes the socialism, the insanity of the left, and, and um, the, the, the uh, sexual ethics of the left, and um, the hypocrisy of the right even. I mean, what transcends all of that? What transcends all of it? What overcomes it? Well, what overcomes all worldly power and all the principalities is faith. Listen to 1 John 5, 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Interesting statement from the Apostle John. A direct, a young, one of the, well, the youngest disciple of Jesus would have been John. What overcomes the world? Our faith. Our faith. The only way out of the mess is faith. And faith, if it is true faith, is grounded in and on Christ alone. If it is grounded in anything other than Christ, in self, in a tradition, in a particular dogma, a particular political view, etc., then it isn't faith and it isn't going to conquer nations. Which is why Paul has grounded Romans 10 in the preaching of the gospel. That's the secret sauce. That's the whole enchilada. That's it. That's, that's what overcomes the world, which means, finally, that it's time for the church to stop paying, paying lip service to the truth that Christ is king. We have to stop paying lip service to it. We have to stop putting it on our coffee mug. Oh, yay, Christ is king. You hear it all the time. Oh, no matter who's president, Christ is king. Oh, isn't that cute? It makes me feel great. No. It actually irritates me because it's not a slogan. We're not sloganeers here. Christ is king. If faith comes by hearing, and it does, then we ought to be loud about the gospel. We need to be pointing people to the gospel and only the gospel. The law of God, not only the gospel because we have a lot of things to say about a lot of things, but the gospel ought to be the, you know, leading the train, so to speak. The law of God, of course, we know has a lot to say in the political arena, and boy, do we need to make that known. But let us never forget that faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing, and if that's true, then we need to be loud. Faith is what we are after, so we must befriend faithfulness. We must proclaim Christ, and we overcome the world that way. That's how we do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the promises that you've given us here we know that your word is truth. Jesus told us as much. Your word is truth, and therefore we want to be grounded in it. And I pray for 
this nation, that, that unbelief would be arrested and sat to the side and so faith can prevail. And I do pray for the church, those who confess the Lordship of Christ, that we would stop being so fearful and cowardly, that we would, we would stop being so impotent on our own volition, that instead of that, we would, in fact, repent and be strong and courageous the way Joshua was. Courageous with the truth of your word, bold in our proclamation. Father, we are a nation saturated in blood guiltiness, in immorality, in fornication, in all these things. And we know your word has so much truth there, especially the truth that you intend to make all of your enemies a footstool for the feet of Christ. So as the nations are footstooled, I pray that we would help in that process, that we would be proclaimers so that people could hear, so people could believe, so that faith could rule the day. So would you help us to do that? In Christ's name I pray. Amen.